0: You know, I think as we go to the scriptures, we often have a tendency to think that, uh, that the Bible may, may be accurate, it may be right, but maybe not quite so right when it comes to us. Because we have a tendency, I think, to look in the mirror and as we evaluate our own sinfulness before we came to faith in Christ, we, we, we have a hard time admitting that we, are, or we once were wretched, or that we once were lost, or that there was a time when we were blind. And we have a tendency, I think, when we talk about our own sinfulness pre-Christ, before our salvation, to sort of smooth it over. And, and, and it's not unusual for people often to define or to describe sin in very simplistic terms by saying that sin is something that we either fail to do, that God has asked us to do, or we do the things that God has told us that we should not do. Now, that's an accurate definition of sin, but but the fact is that we are much more than that as sinners When we are under sin There is a depravity, there is a lostness There is a blindness And even a wretchedness That is more horrible than what we often have a tendency to see ourselves In the reflection of our own assessment For the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 And you were dead in your trespasses and sins Before Christ, you were dead. That means lifeless. You had absolutely, positively no spiritual dimension or interest at all. You were dead to the things of God. Why? Because you were under the power and the penalty of sin totally depraved how depraved were you it goes on to talk about our depravity before salvation in whom you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience wow it just said before i came to christ i followed the course of this world not only that but i followed then the prince of the power of the air which is satan himself not only that but i was a son or a daughter of disobedience then it goes on to say among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We lived in the passions of our flesh. We lived to pursue then the passions of the flesh were anti-god, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And whereby nature we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It Graphically describes our lostness our depravity the fact that we were under sin before we came to faith in Christ And so it should not then surprise us when I make this statement that before we came to faith in Christ we had absolutely no desire for God We had no ability to find God. We had no ability to see God. We had no desire to pursue God because the Bible says in Romans 3.11, no one seeks God. Before we came to faith in Christ, we did not seek God. We did not care about God because down in verse 13, it says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. He talks about our depravity and the fact that before we came to faith in Christ, we had absolutely no fear when it came to God. We were not seeking God. We did not care about God. All we cared about was to gratify the desires of our flesh. And so when we talk about the condition of our own sin, being under sin and that depravity and how we lived our life, it is very safe for us then to conclude according to these passages and many others that we independently and apart from God on our own did not nor did we ever seek God and so as we understand the full depravity of our being under the power and the penalty of sin how then could any one of us ever be saved I think this text answers that question for us today It's interesting that that is exactly what God, I believe, answers in our passage this morning For the mighty work of God, I believe, is the pursuit of those of us who are lost and who need to be found Those of us who are blind and need to see Those of us who are wretched, who need to be forgiven of our sin For the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3, Three? Huh? 323. And the wage of sin is? Romans 3? Ah, Romans 6? Okay. Just checking. Make sure you know your scriptures. We talked about that in here Friday night, how important it is to know the scriptures. And in our depravity, then how then, in our losses, and our blindness, without any desire to seek God, to follow God, to care about God, living our own sinful, depraved Lives Pursuing our own passions and our own desires Of the mind, of the body, and of our own depravity How then did we find God? It's important that we understand in the text today Four things we, we need to understand that God pursues us He pursues us It is He who pursues us And then by His power He pulls us unto Himself For the purpose then of communicating to us Our need for Christ So that then He can fulfill then This, this whole work of preparing us to receive then this beautiful message called the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 2 verse 5 and let's talk about then how can then any of us at all be saved. And we're going to talk first of all about God pursuing us. I think it's interesting that we find in this text the pursuit of God in this text. God is pursuing lost people. He pursues those who are not pursuing Him. He is pursuing those who care absolutely nothing for God. And her living their own self-indulged, depraved, passionate, worldly lives. God is in the pursuit of those people. And that's who we were before we came to faith in Christ. Acts 2.5 says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. It's interesting that we see in this text this beautiful description about the Pentecost awakening that took place. And, and in the text, in the original language, is that there were now. This, the now is after the were. There were now in Jerusalem dwelling some Jews. There were some Jews who were dwelling during the time when Pentecost happened, when the Spirit of God fell. There were some people that were dwelling in Jerusalem. There were now, what, some devout Men from every nation under heaven, devout men. These were men who were in the pursuit of God. God had stirred in their hearts this desire, this craving, this passion, this quest for knowing Jehovah God. And that's why they were in Jerusalem. They were devout men who were Jews in Jerusalem. And notice every nation under heaven. I mean, it's almost as if God is preparing to fulfill the, the promise that he made to his disciples when he gave the promise to them in his just before his departure. And, and everyone there from all over, it's an international gathering. We're there in Jerusalem when Pentecost happened. Notice the passage not on your screen, but should I dare even try to read those words that you read while ago, Pastor Gale? Here they are. Verse 9, not on the screen, there were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians from the north, the south, the east and the west. There gathered in Jerusalem, probably remnant of the Passover, possibly there for the uh, the celebration of the, of the weeks, uh, the Feast of the Weeks, who was there. They were celebrating the, the harvest, but they were there in Jerusalem, gathered from all over the world, not by accident, not by coincidence, but because God was in pursuit of these people who would soon hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, when you think about the complexity of God working all of this out in exactly this very moment so that all of this could happen, we're not surprised because we know exactly what Acts chapter 1 says. When Jesus, in his final walk with his disciples, tells them that that they need to go to Jerusalem and they're going to receive a baptism, not of water, but they're going to receive a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he tells them to go to Jerusalem and wait for that to happen, he promises that, he predicts that, he prophesies that, and tells them to go. We know that that he has been telling them from the very one, from from Genesis 1-1 all the way up to Acts chapter 2, God has been preparing his people for this moment. He's been actively working through his people for this exact moment. A moment that he prophesied and predicted back in the Old Testament In many of the prophets would happen as it happened in Acts chapter 2 verse 1 through 4 God's been preparing, and Jesus is telling them, hey, you need to go to Jerusalem. You're going to receive the Spirit. And then, then there's that final word that he says that the, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them. they are going to receive power. And then he says, after receiving power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He tells them that they're going to be powerful witnesses to those that are across the globe to the ends of the earth. And isn't it interesting that right there in Jerusalem, all of a sudden, the fulfillment of the promise and the prophecy of Jesus is fulfilled in one act of God. Is that a coincidence? I I don't think so. I mean, when you really think about it, think about how active God has been up to this moment, not just in Genesis 1-1 with the people of Israel. But with these people who are from across the globe, he's been orchestrating this event for these men who are about to hear the gospel their entire lives. Their entire lives. They were born to a, a man and a woman And they were raised a certain way They somehow gained access to, to Judaism, they became Interested and God welled up within Them this desire to know Jehovah God and as a result of this welling Up of the Spirit of God leading them As they grew, and they began to grow in Knowledge and understanding, of course their knowledge And understanding was a salvation by works It was a, not a salvation by grace Through faith but one of works But yet they believed that they had a desire To pursue and to know God and God is Pursuing them by welling up this desire In them to know God And, and think about it. imagine All of a sudden they're sitting down and they're planning their trip To Jerusalem more than likely Because of the Passover or maybe the, the Feast of the weeks That happened 50 days after Passover God's been a part of all that. He's orchestrating all of that. And these men came from all of the world to Jerusalem to observe this festival, not by accident, not by coincidence, but because God is pursuing them and he's, he's pursuing these people and he brings them to Jerusalem at this very moment so that they can receive the gospel of Jesus Christ through the preaching of Simon Peter and because of the filling of the Spirit upon Simon Peter's Heart and life. God is in the pursuit of these devout men who are Jews in Jerusalem Jewish by practice, not solely by nationality But they have a desire and God is pursuing them Isn't it great to know Isn't it great to know That God pursued you You were out living your life, doing your own thing Without a care in the world, living in the flesh, living for the world Trying to seek to fulfill these passions and the desires that are conflictual and contradictory to God and his word And he was pursuing you For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son That whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life He loved you before you loved him He saw you from the moment that you were conceived in the womb of your mother From the time of your birth, the life that you lived until the very moment that all of a sudden in that pursuit, you had that encounter with God. Your life is not an accident. Your life is not a coincidence. God has been orchestrating and planning your life so that he can pursue you in this intimate love relationship with him. And when you don't give a flip about him, he still pursues you. He wants to be intimately connected to you He wants to have a relationship with you He wants to be in community with you And he is in the pursuit of you I don't know why he is I I really don't get it Because when I look in the mirror In my own evaluation I'm not worth knowing And yet he still pursues me And he still pursues you God is in the pursuit here The Spirit of God is being the vessel that God is using to pursue these people who desperately need to hear the gospel. Not only do we see the pursuit of God, but we see the power of God. Notice God's power. And the power is displayed in the drawing power of God. God is powerfully drawing these people who had no desire for him unto himself. Notice the passage. And all this sound, the multitude, came together there was a sound we talked about the sound last week did we not where the sound came into the upper room where the disciples were gathered and a sound all of a sudden much like a a, like a mighty wind and it filled the room and everyone there heard the sound did they not and we have this understanding that the sound Was confined primarily to the upper room But now we learn that the sound went Beyond the room and went out Into the streets of Jerusalem How far it went we do not know But this sound carried beyond the room And out into the streets of Jerusalem And it noticed it drew the attention Of a multitude and they came together And some might say well have you ever been On the scene of an accident you're on a highway And you're driving and there's an accident and what does everybody do What do they do they stop and look, and they gawk, and you're griping at them, right? And while you're griping, what are you doing? You're looking. <laughs> what is everybody looking at, right? And I can imagine that uh, they're in the streets of Jerusalem, and the sound went out from the room. And, uh, and, 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 and all of a sudden, they hear the sound and, and they want to investigate it, but I think it's really more than that I think God uses this sound by the power of the Spirit To draw these people to be able to have this opportunity to hear the gospel It's the power of God that is drawing them It is the, the sound of the Spirit of God and the presence of God In the room that goes beyond the room and into the streets of Jerusalem That draws them to this place that, that the Pentecost has happened And they came together and they were a a crowd We don't know how many are there But we know later on that at least 3,000 received Christ as their Savior So we know that there was probably more than likely more than 3,000 who were there And so we see this mob beginning to form this crowd Who gathered there because of a sound that they heard And when they gathered there they're surprised Because notice they hear them speak in their own language I mean, all of a sudden, how would you like to be in the streets of Jerusalem in some foreign country somewhere? And have you ever been in one place and you see the signs and you can't read them and you hear these dialects and you have no idea what they're saying and you finally walk into the place and there's English. <laughs> wow, finally, I'm with my peeps, you know what I'm saying? Has ever, that ever happened to you? It's happened to me multiple times. And just because I know a little bit of Spanish and a little bit of French and a whole lot of Portuguese and some English, um, uh, you know, you have four languages you can tap into. There's been some countries I've been in where I couldn't understand the dialect at all. And all of a sudden they are surprised because they're in this place gathered with these people and they're hearing these 120 people speaking in their own language. But not only are they surprised, they're shocked because if you look at the scriptures, you notice that they're hearing them speak in their native language. Now these are Galileans And and they looked at these Galileans As Galileans What does that mean They were from the sticks They were from the boonies They were country bumpkins They were the people that They thought lived in In in, in the country that didn't have teeth That drank you know stuff that nobody drank They They were just uneducated Galileans these Galileans these these goofy country people who live in the boonies are speaking not just my language but they are speaking my own native language they are speaking as if they grew up in my neighborhood now we have several dialects in Wichita don't we don't we we do And you can almost associate somebody by what dialect they live, by what part of Wichita they live But I can remember when I grew up in Brazil, my parents, you know, they were missionaries And we went over to South America, Brazil with the International Mission Board when I was uh, eight years old And and my parents went to school to learn Portuguese And uh, they went to school every day And so I went to school, but I went to a Brazilian school And all they spoke was Portuguese Now I'm eight years old and I'm stuck in a class with a language I have no idea what these people are saying. And then at the end of school, I'm out in the streets playing soccer and flying kites and playing marbles and playing a game called finca. I don't have time to explain what it is, but we're out there in the streets playing. I mean, those are the days when you just kind of played in the streets. Nobody worried about you. They should have, but they didn't. And so as a, an 8-year-old, I'm picking up the dialect and the language a lot faster than my parents Now, my parents watch these from time to time, and they will admit that there were times we'd get in the car after my dad would preach in Portuguese, you know? And I would correct him on his grammar. And it used to make him really upset. Yeah. But I can remember as a teenager, after I'd been in Brazil for just a couple of years, I could speak Portuguese fluent enough to sound like a Brazilian And there were times when I was in certain groups of people that I would only speak Portuguese and they would not know that I was an American citizen. And that was to my advantage. And I can speak Portuguese fluent enough where if I'm in a country and I speak Portuguese, they would think that I'm Brazilian. Why? I can speak in that native language. It was something that I picked up. It was something that I learned by association. But here we have the power of God giving these men and women, the power to project, to speak in a native language they did not learn before. How is that possible? Could these people hear their native Tongue their dialect The the accent of their Neighborhood in such a way That it connected with them because You see God is drawing Them unto himself by the Power of the spirit after having received The spirit being filled with the spirit he's Using this to draw these People unto himself and that's What God does God draws us unto him he pursues Us but he then Draws us unto Himself Thirdly, notice the purpose for why God pursues and why He pulls us or draws us by His power into Himself. Verse eleven, the last part of verse eleven. Notice the reason and the purpose. We'll see in this little phrase is to bring light to the Lord Jesus Christ, to point them to the gospel. Notice the second part of verse 11, hear them, this is them speaking We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God Their own language, they hear them tell of the mighty works of God They, they hear, why are they hearing? Because we know that faith comes by hearing, right? And the Spirit of God gives them the, the, the ability to be able to hear what is being spoken in their native tongue. And what they are speaking, they are telling, they are witnessing. Now remember when Jesus said, you will receive power. And when you receive power, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. What do they do? They are being witnesses of Jesus. They are telling, they are projecting, they are proclaiming, they are witnessing of the mighty works of God. What are the mighty works of God? The mighty works of God are displayed, I believe, through the person of Jesus Christ. When they they received the Holy Spirit and were filled with the Holy Spirit, automatically there was this welling up that was going inside of them. And the immediate reaction of the, the, the receiving and the filling of the Spirit was a projection, was a proclamation of the mighty works of God. We don't know exactly what that was, but I have a suspicion that everything that was being spoken as they were witnessing pointed to Jesus. Well, how do you know that? Because in John chapter 15, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit... His role is to glorify the Son And so I believe that what came from their mouth As they witnessed Was the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ Maybe it began with His incarnation His sinless perfection His atoning death on the cross Maybe His resurrection from the dead I'm not really sure what it all was about But they they were praising Him and they were declaring the gospel with their voices. I would dare to say that when we, when we come together as the body of Christ and we assemble in this place, what should well up within us because we have received and we're full of the Spirit are the praises of the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. And anything that comes out of our mouth in a worship service like this that doesn't do that isn't from the Spirit of God. And here we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 5, that they were devout men of God. Now, I want to just say the communication was important, but the connection. God had a purpose not in just communicating the gospel, but I think God had a purpose in connecting the gospel. As I mentioned earlier, these were devout men from every nation under heaven. They were practicing Jews, and there was a connection there, and I've alluded to that, that they had a desire to know Jehovah God. But what they didn't know at this time... Is that God welled within them a desire for something greater than what they possessed. And that that person was for the purpose of introducing them to Jesus. Whenever you encounter someone that has this, this desire that wells up within them of, of discontent and, and, and insecurity or a need that goes beyond what this world has to offer and all of that, that's a, I believe that's a working of the Spirit of God when someone has a hunger, has a desire, has a need, has a quest for something greater beyond themselves. That is, that is an opportunity for us then to connect to that need. And God has risen that need in their hearts for the purpose Of communicating that Jesus Christ is in fact the answer to their need now we've seen the purpose of God but finally let's take a look at the preparation of God what is God's preparation in the text because remember he's preparing them he's pursuing them and by his power he is drawing them and pulling them unto himself for the purpose then of preparing them to receive the gospel God is working in this this Pentecostal movement here to, to, to sort of reach its crescendo when Simon Peter, filled with the Spirit, is about to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in the text we'll be dealing with next week. He's preparing them for that. And notice in the text in verse 12, And all were amazed and perplexed, saving to one another. What does this mean? And all were amazed, and they were perplexed. God here is setting the stage for what's about to happen so they can have an opportunity to receive Christ. And and, and we see in the text there were some, all of them, not some of them, but all of them were amazed and perplexed. They were all wowed. They were all fascinated. They were all perplexed. They couldn't quite get a handle on what was going on and why it was happening. And, And notice they were questioning one another. They were communicating with one another Not with the disciples, but with one another. I'm not sure why they weren't asking the disciples what does this mean, but they were asking one another. And the sad part is that those who don't know Christ can't explain anything about Christ. Someone who's never come to faith in Jesus cannot tell you about Jesus, cannot tell anyone who is is asking about Jesus what Jesus actually means. You have to have a personal encounter with him to be able to share him with others. So they're asking each other, and obviously there is no... There is no answer, there is no reason, there is no explanation as to why this is happening. And and so we then learn that there were some who who some who were responding favorably initially to the to to what they they heard. There there was a welling up and there was a there was a a pursuit that God was pursuing them, and by his power, then he was drawing them unto himself and and for the purpose of communicating the gospel and and to meeting their need. And and so as a result of that, they are they're curious and they're wanting to know what's going on. On. what's the answer what's the reason why why am i seeing and hearing and, and and understanding these things what what's going on and they were immediately responsive favorably to the gospel And there are always some who are immediately ready to receive and responsive to the gospel. But we also learn in this text that there were also some, notice it said, but others in verse 13, mocking said they are filled with new wine. These There were some in the midst who rejected completely initially the gospel presentation, the the manifestation or the witness of the, the disciples in the great works of God. They they rejected, they mocked, they laughed, they made fun of the disciples. And then we know why. Because God is preparing for the event that's about to happen. And I think those who at first received initially heard the gospel and those who rejected initially Uh, Eventually we'll hear the gospel, and I'm convinced, and I hope some who rejected had an opportunity to receive Because we see in Acts 2.14, but Peter standing with the eleven lifted up his voice and addressed them And that's what we're going next week God's preparing them to receive the gospel So what does this have to do with us today? Why do we take the time to sort of carve out this passage of scripture and and sort of... uh, Dissect it so that we can sort of examine it a little bit I think think the reason why I think this passage is important Is because God pursues me If you don't know Christ today As your personal Lord and Savior I believe he's pursuing you I believe that he wants to enter into an intimate love relationship with you And he's doing everything he can to prepare you And to get you to the place and the point for you to receive What Christ has for you I think it's important for us to understand that even though there are times when, when I, I, I hear him being silent and I can't feel him and I can't see him and I'm out on my own and I'm not pursuing him, even as a disciple, he still pursues us. Because no matter how far we run or how, how, how fast we, we think we can outpace him, he's still constantly in pursuit of us for that intimate love relationship. And when we reach rock bottom Isn't it great to know That by his power He can pull us unto himself And redeem us Restore us and revive us You know I have this concept That I think sometimes a lot of us think that uh, Especially those of us Who are believers (laughs) We have this tendency to believe I think that um, That if You know we hear words like if we seek him With all of our hearts we'll find him Uh, If we go hard after him, we can catch up to him. And it's almost like to me, sometimes we describe the Christian uh, race as 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 Broadway, <laughs> a one-way street. And, and 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 we're on this we're on this path, this journey of following Jesus and and he's way out ahead of us. And if I just run hard enough and I'm just disciplined enough. If I if I if I work hard enough, if I can if I can just do these things, I can catch up to him and walk in an intimate love relationship with him. But the reality is that it's a two-way street. Because I may be going in this direction, but he's coming in the opposite direction toward me. And at some point he's doing that so that there can be an encounter, so that there can be a connection, so that there can be a relationship. And I wonder today how many of us Fail to see that God is in the pursuit of us, that he's pulling us and drawing us into this intimate love relationship with him, doing everything that he can to draw us together with him for the purpose of not just communicating the gospel, for many of us here today have received the gospel, but for the purpose of communion and fellowship with him to meet our needs so that in preparation of that, we can enjoy this beautiful life that's available only through Christ. Let's pray.
1: I didn't hear any responses.
0: Thank you.
1: Makes me feel less nervous when you talk to me when I ask when I say something. So uh, we have Angelica Bermudez coming this morning for baptism. Uh, if you're a family member or a friend of Angelica's, and you're here to support her this morning, would you please stand so we could just recognize you so she can look out and see you. That's great. So there they are. They're for you. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, it's always uh, really cool to have somebody come to you and go, man, I want to be baptized and just be excited. And that's one thing that I've noticed about Angelica is just, just she just is excited about this. And so uh, I think it's a great encouragement to us for her to share her testimony through baptism this morning. And so let me ask you this, Angelica, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes. It is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, and raised to walk in newness of life. Thank you.